Thank you, God. Thank you so much. Good to see you all today. We have a, a surprise for you in that your previous interim before Nate came is here. Pastor Tony, where are you? I think you're in here, are you? There you are. There you are, kind of standing up. Great to have you. Thank you for, for being. Uh, in the uh, months that I've been here, I've heard numerous people talk very positively of, of you. And uh, a number really wanted you back, but it, it, you came all the way from California weekly. Uh, and wow, thank you for, for doing that. He teaches um, church history. And uh, I was mentioning to him that often on my bed, ta the, the table by my bedside, I will have some church history or biography. I encourage you to get to know church history, what has happened before. And a good way to do that, I think, is to begin with uh, some biographies, Christian biographies, um, and, and get to know those who have come before us. History is his story, what God has done through the times. And uh, we're not in our, on our own, and we need to understand what's happened in the past and how God has worked. So I hope that you will uh, consider that, uh, and um, uh, it, you'll be blessed if you will do that. We are in Genesis 22. Would you open your Bible there into Genesis 22? In our series, Prophets, Rulers, Patriarchs, and a Thief, or a Traitor. Maybe that would be a better term. We are uh, looking for the second week at uh, the father of our faith, Abraham. And uh, of the people in the Old Testament, there are many, many great men and women. I don't think any, not even Moses, any greater than, more important than Abraham. Uh, Abraham's impact on us is recorded not just in the Old Testament, but also repeatedly in the New Testament. So I think that we're blessed, we're helped to understand more about Abraham. Now today, we come to one of the most dramatic, one of the most well-known passages in the Old Testament. Um, now, if it's so well known, why spend any time on it? I mean, if you already know this story, why in the world would we take the time to study it anyway? And the answer to that is none of us have exhausted it. None of us have learned all that there is to it. But the importance of this story helps us to translate uh, the New Testament and the work of Jesus uh, helps us understand God's, God's promises, God's providences as he's working the world toward its uh, 
uh, toward God's final uh, plan for us. So this is a very important passage, and it is a passage about the crisis of faith. Uh, we will have crises of faith when our faith is tested, pushed, and we can see what it's really made of. So that being said, let me remind you what we learned last week. Abraham um, had received a visitation from God and uh, this has happened while he was still a pagan idolater in the Ur of Chaldees, which is in Iraq today. And God said, I want you to go from where you are. Keep going until I tell you to stop. And if you're willing to do this, I am going to, if you'll follow me, if you'll put your trust in me, I am willing to, um, uh, I am willing to give you a land uh, and I'm willing to give you a name. I'm willing to give you a nation of people who have come as your descendants. And from them will come the ultimate blessing of the world, the Lord Jesus. And so that was the promise, basically soil and seed. And in that promise, then Abraham walked out, along with his wife, they, they left the earth, Chaldees, they left home, and they began to travel, and they ended up months or perhaps years later in a land called Canaan, where they resided where the Lord gave them that land. Now, a child which had been promised by God had not come for decades. Decades came, decades passed, and still there was no child. They tried to manipulate circumstances, but that didn't work. And so it looked like God would not fulfill his promise, but God doesn't lie. God does fulfill his promises in his time, which, by the way, is never our time. God, God is always late, don't you know? <laughs> he is always, not really, but it feels that way, that, that he's always late. He pushes us. He allows us to get to the end sometimes where we continue to trust him when all is lost. And that's what, exactly what happened here. Abraham and Sarah had their son. They named him Isaac. And they watched Isaac grow. These are very old parents. I think in some ways there's some advantages to having older parents. People who have more time, perhaps more patience, more, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but I think it it's, can be an ad advantage to have older parents. And that's what he had, certainly. But they watched him grow. They watched him grow through his uh, babyhood, infancy, and then into childhood. And then now he has reached at least adolescence. He's not a child when this is happening. He's at least an adolescent. And I'll show you, if I think of it, uh, and I'll try. I'll show you how we know that in just a bit. And so God has been faithful to them. 
Here is the child that he has promised. Here is their pride and joy. Here is, here he is fulfilling their desires, their hopes. But then came the very bad news. It says this in Genesis 22, verse number one. It says, after these things, God tested. You might mark the word tested. Uh, it's an important word. We'll come back to it. Tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. And he said, take your son. Now, you know what's about to be said, but soak it in, absorb it, think of it. Take your son, your only son. You see, God is trying to make this as personal to to Abraham as he possibly can. Take your son, your only son, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. If you put yourself in the moment, it makes you, it makes you stop. It makes you stop and breathe and think, what would it be like to be Abraham at this moment? His, his emotions are not recorded for us. I could imagine shock, fear, uh, sorrow, uh, maybe anger, uh, all kinds of, of emotions. I could imagine flowing into him. And remember, Abraham and uh, Sarah had spent an entire lifetime waiting for this child. And now this child was about to be taken from them. Verse 1, again, if you would, it says, now these things, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. All right, two words are often confused in our Bibles. Uh, One of the words is temptation. A temptation is a, a thought It's not sin, it is a thought that Satan will use to prompt us to rebel against God and to sin. We all face temptations. And what we should understand is the thought itself is not sin, it is a temptation. What we do with that thought, now that will determine righteousness or sin, right there. All right, the other word is test. Uh, testing or trial, same word. And what that word is talking about is, is this is not something that's coming from Satan at all. This is something that's coming from God. And God uses these trials to expand our faith. They are often painful, difficult circumstances in which we have got to decide, will we trust God or will we not? Uh, This is what James says about trials. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, 
trials, testing, same word, of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. I could just make this short to say what God would have you do, which is for you to grow in Christ, will require trials. Now, what was the test? The test is one that we all face through life. And the test was, do you love God's gifts more than you love God? There it is. That's the test. This is another term for idolatry. Idolatry is your preoccupation, your love for your preference for something in creation more than the creator himself. Or, you know, another way for us to put that would be, uh, this is is something that is crucial to us to to nail down. Uh, Idolatry is the temptation to disobey God in order for you to have something that you want. But it's a disobedience to God. All right, so what did Abraham do? Verse number two. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So, You know, you could let your mind go, so what did Abraham do? He packed up his clothes and headed east. No, that's not what happened. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He didn't wait. Saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, where was that place that God told him? I have, uh, I think it's three pictures that I'd love to show you uh, from a recent trip uh, to Israel that I think would help you uh, in the understanding of where Mount Moriah is and why God chose that place. Uh, This is kind of a a nighttime picture, uh, and I took it, standing on uh, the Mount of Olives. I'm looking west into the old city. That black space in back of the first light, that's the Kidron Valley, or the Valley of Jehoshaphat, or the Valley of God's Judgment. Next picture, please. All right, this is basically the same picture during the day. Uh, and you see that golden dome. That's where the temples were once built. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Uh, the debris probably strewn into that valley there. And this is where uh, it ended up that the Muslim built their third most sacred site on the top of Temple Mount. All right, next picture, uh, and that's kind of an up-close picture of where the temple had been. All right, thanks. Uh, Now, why show you that? That's Mount Moriah. 
That is Mount Moriah. And so what God is telling him is basically this. God is saying, take your son Isaac to the very place where hundreds and hundreds of years later, I will establish a sacrificial system in which sacrificial animals' lives will be taken to show the importance of the dreadfulness of sin. They will be taken. Their blood will flow down that mountain to uh, the, the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of God's judgment, and then on to the valley of Hinnom, which is uh, the valley of hell itself. And so that's where he's sending him. He's sending him to where all of these events are going to be happening in the future. Uh, now, let's look at verse number four. It says, on the third day, Three is an important number in our Bible. You remember uh, a couple weeks ago when we were looking at the uh, Isaiah, he saw the seraphim as they were praising God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, uh, uh, Jonah was in the the belly of the whale three days and three nights. Uh, And here we find, and Jesus was, of course, in the tomb for three days and nights. Here we have uh, Abraham taking his son for three very long days to Mount Moriah. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. That last phrase is really important, isn't it? And come again to you. Uh, He is expecting to return with Isaac. That's his expectation. And Abraham took the wood, he took the the wood, uh, the burnt offering, and laid it on his son Isaac. Now, Isaac is carrying it. See, he's at least an adolescent. He's not a child. And so he he took, Abraham took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And Abraham said, here am I, my son. And Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Good question. And Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they both of them, so they went both of them together. And When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. I think he had OCD maybe, making sure that these are all in order. And bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. The drama of this moment is intense. Uh, 
They arrive at Mount Moriah. Abraham leaves his men behind. He and Isaac go trudging up the mountain. And when they get to the top, Isaac asks the logical question, where's the animal for the, for, uh, the sacrifice? Now, I don't know about you, but I like a straight answer. <laughs> That's what I like. Uh, when, when, I, when I can ask Marcia something and... Uh, if she doesn't want to talk about it, well, she'll start, start talking about 12 other things, and I'll forget what the original question was. You, you know, uh, I just like straight, simple answers. That's my favorite. Uh, but what does Abraham say? He, he said this, Jehovah Jireh. That's what he says. And what does that mean? God will provide. Uh, but why would God do this to him? What is this really all about? In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, listen to this. It's very helpful for us to understand our Old Testament in light of the New. It says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. And we live in the end of the age, the age of the church. And so, what, what do we have here? We have an example. That's what's been given to us and countless millions of others through these years. We have received an example. And that an example that example is another father offering another son on our behalf. Well, the entire Bible points to Jesus. Understand this is not a New Testament philosophy or, or theology. It, it, the entire Bible points to Jesus. In, Je- in Genesis, he is the ram that is at Abraham's altar. And in Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the city of our refuge. In Joshua, he is uh, the conquering leader who leads his people into the promised land. In Judges, he is the righteous judge. First and second Corinthians, he is the good king. And we could go on and on and on. Jesus portrayed over and over and over again in the Old Testament to prepare the world for the most important thing that would ever happen, and that is the coming of Jesus. Genesis 22 Five. What, what was Abraham thinking while this was going on? Remember, we've got the, the benefit of hindsight. He doesn't. He's living in the moment. And so what does Genesis 20, 22, 5 say? And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. The boy and I are going away and the boy and I are going to come back to you. That's what he's thinking. Now, that requires faith, doesn't it? 
Uh, Hebrews eleven seventeen says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And that's what he did. By putting him on that, that sacrificial altar, he's offering up right there his son. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son in whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back. In other words Abraham believed in the resurrection before people believed in the resurrection. Before people even heard of the resurrection, he believes. And verse number 10 says, And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And God said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Did God not know that before? Well, yes, he did. Was it an important thing for Abraham to know it? Uh, it was really important. Seeing that you have not withheld your child, your only child from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son, instead of his son, instead of his son. Got that? In the place of, as a substitute for his son. So Abraham called the name of this place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said today, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The moment came. The knife is taken out. It's raised above Abraham's head. And as he begins to thrust it into the chest of his only son, God stopped him at that very moment and provided a substitute. So Abraham passed the test, you see. Does he love the things that God gives him more than he loves God? Does he love Isaac more than he loves God? No, he loved God more. So here's now what he knows. He knows God will provide, salvation will come by faith as he's trusting God for this to happen and that he would do anything at all that God said. Wow, is that important? Will you do whatever God says? What are the great truths that we come away with from this passage? Let me offer a few. One of the things is Abraham's faithfulness. Abraham's faithfulness to God is seen in the fact that he was willing to obey God 
even when he didn't feel like it. I'm better at, feel, at, at obeying God when I feel like it. Don't look at me judgmentally. You do, you're the same way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I just don't feel like doing that. To, I just don't feel like witnessing that friend. I, I just don't feel like giving to the offering. I just don't, well, it's really not a matter of what you feel, is it? Another thing here closely associated with this is Abraham's was faithful. And it's, his faithfulness is seen in that he's willing to obey God when he doesn't understand God and what God's doing. Now, I think this is, this is really significant. Why? is one of the most dangerous questions you ever ask. It is often next to pointless. God, why do I have cancer? God, why did you let my child get in trouble? God, why don't you do something with this marriage? God, why? God, why? God, why? Can't you imagine Abraham saying, God, why? But he gets up in the morning to be obedient to God rather than follow the dead-end street of this why issue. Trust God to do what God wants ultimately even if you don't see how it's going to work. Next, we need to understand that God trained Abraham for decades to prepare him for this, his most important trial. Uh, When the biggest test came, he was ready for it. God is teaching you faith as well. Day by day, event by event, we're in the class of higher education in what faith is. And he's teaching you over smaller things what you need to know. Next. Well, what else does Abraham teach us? an enduring question that the New Testament brings to the fullness of the answer. It says, Romans chapter four, verse one. Now what shall we say was gained by Abraham, the forefather according to our flesh, or according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, that means declared right by God, the action, judicial action of God declaring that we're right with him. If if Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. If he was made right with God by the work that he was doing, 
then in reality, he should get the credit for his salvation. But instead, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted for him, to him as righteousness. You see, we see the impact of faith here. Faith is essential for salvation. You can go to church. You can live by the Ten Commandments. You can get baptized. You, you can live by the golden rule. You can be nice to other people. You can do all kinds of things for your church. You can be faithful to your church. You can go, I could go on and on. You can do all of these things and not be right with God. These are to be the fruit of your relationship with God, not the thing that creates it. We are saved by grace through faith. And then, two more things. Abraham and Isaac are revealing 2,000 years beforehand are revealing Jesus to us. Let me show you some of the ways. Both Isaac and Jesus were loved by their father. And both would carry the wood of their own sacrifice up the hill. And both were sacrificed on a hill on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And both were delivered from death on the third day. I pointed that out earlier, how they traveled for three days. Jesus in the ground for three days. They were both delivered from death on the third day. And they were both willing to give up their lives. Isaac knew what he was doing, so he's willing to give up his life. And this is a, a, a precursor to Jesus' ultimate act of dying on the cross as our substitute for us. So do you see how it fits? Jesus coming to our world was not an afterthought of God. God was not pacing back and forth in heaven and saying, oh, what shall I do? These people aren't working out. No, no, this was the plan from before the Garden of Eden. God's ultimate plan, which he demonstrated to humanity time and time and time again. And finally, one more question. What is your Isaac? What is your Isaac? What is so important to you? that you might say this is the most important, this is one of the most important things in my world. What's your Isaac? What have you been willing to do to disobey God in order for you to have or experience or whatever? What's your Isaac? Isaac could have been an idol to Abraham. What's yours? When you lay it down, you will see God 
substitute, a far greater blessing. Let me stand and pray. Would you stand with me and would you pray? Father, thank you for this passage. There's things about the passage that is troubling to me uh, that I don't really understand. But I know this, Father. I know that you have made exceedingly great and precious promises to us. And we know that you will be faithful to complete each one. I pray, Father, for the person who's here today who perhaps has never understood before what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago. But now, Abraham and Isaac allow us to see what he was doing, what Jesus was doing. We pray for them that they today would turn to you and trust you, Lord. We pray that they would today trust you with their lives to be their Savior. And Father, we pray for all of us that we might have no God but God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.